Hey, thank you for joining us this morning. It is great to have you with us. I hope you enjoyed our time of worship. Uh, if God's got it on your heart and you want to see how blessed God can bless your generosity, you can go to our website, mbfc.church forward slash give, and, uh, and, and be a part of this ministry and help and share the good news of Jesus Christ. We're going to continue our series this morning as we uh, explore the book of Exodus and the life of Moses and apply it to our lives under the thought of following God into the unknown. Um, this is following up, this sermon is following up last week where we talked uh, about Moses and how he came to this point in chapter 6 where all of his doubts, uh, all of his greatest fears about what would happen if he went down to Egypt to face Pharaoh, what he thought would happen is that the children of Israel wouldn't listen to him, that Pharaoh wouldn't listen to him, that he wouldn't be able to speak, and all of that had come true in chapter 6. Actually, when he went to Pharaoh the first time, Pharaoh made life more miserable for the children of Israel, and life had gotten worse. And so we talked a lot about what, uh, what happens when things don't go as planned and overcoming failure. We found out uh, three important things. Uh, first is we've got to have a long view, right? We've got to be thinking not just about today. Failure is not fatal. Success is not final. We've got to think about the long term of what God is doing in our life and not just look at our circumstances of today. Um, we also, we've got to think about uh, and be, uh, th- these three words were the most important thing coming out of last week's message was do not quit, the persistence of Moses. He had every reason in the world as a leader who God had called to push on, even though he felt like he was a failure at the time. So we're going to pick up at that point in the story and see what happens here. These, these, these chapters we're going to work our way through uh, today are um, probably the, the most dramatic scene in the Old Testament of what God does here. Uh, we could slow down and take uh, each of these plagues one at a time and, and do a sermon per plague, but I want to work. I want to really take a broad view look at this as we work through the life of Moses. This morning, the title of the sermon is called "The Real Goat." If you don't know what the goat is, this is a this is a term that. Um, in sports and, and, and different things that people use to talk about the greatest of all time. My generation fights with the current generation in, in, in basketball of between Michael Jordan, LeBron James, uh, maybe another generation would say uh, Larry Bird. Uh, and, and so the, who's the greatest ball player of all time? Um, and, and Muhammad Ali would claim to be the greatest of all time as a boxer. Uh, and so what we want to talk about this morning as we look at this story is really, if you would imagine, uh, this is like 10 rounds of a boxing match, these 10 plagues. If you would imagine the God of all creation going up time and time again here uh, against false gods, against a, a pharaoh who felt like he had so much power, he was a god. And we see them going face to face, and we see how God uh, perseveres, and we see who is truly the real goat in this story. And so we're going to do this uh, as we continue to go into the unknown. We got to remember 
this truth, this fact that God is truly the strongest. He is truly the greatest. He is all-powerful. He is the I am, meaning he is, he has been, is currently, and will be in all times. His character is unchanging. Uh, he just is. And so we are going to start this morning uh, and work our way through the plagues. The first thing we find in, in chapter 7 as Aaron and Moses go back to Pharaoh and begin this process of, cont- of repeatedly going to Pharaoh and saying, let my people go. Let God's people go. Let them go, Pharaoh. They're in slavery to you. The God of all creation, the God of our, our God is, is speaking. He's told me to come tell you to let them go. I'm giving you that opportunity. The first thing they do is Aaron and Moses, they come and they've got their staff and they want to prove to Pharaoh how powerful God is. And, and, so, and so Moses, Aaron throws down this staff and it turns in uh, to a snake, again a serpent. And Pharaoh is kind of blown away, but he brings in these sorcerers, the magicians of, his, of the time in Egypt, and see, to see if they can replicate it. And they do. They throw down their staff, and it turns into a snake. But something incredible happens, and this is in uh, chapter uh, 7 and verse 10. I want to read it to you. It says, So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron threw his staff down in front of Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a snake. Pharaoh then summoned wise men and sorcerers, and the Egyptian magicians also did the same thing by their secret arts. Each one threw down his staff, and it became a snake. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs, yet Pharaoh's heart became hard, and he would not listen to them, just as the Lord had said. Following this, uh, one one thing I want want you to see here is that these magicians, these sorcerers, um, these these wise men, uh, really there's two trains of thought. One is they were like magicians. They did this through trickery or illusion. I don't know if you've ever heard of David Copperfield. You've, you've seen these people who do incredible stunts where they make you know, 18-wheelers disappear. They do things all through trickery and illusion. Uh, and, and there's also the potential here that they were drawing on some satanic powers to do incredible things. But we see that God is all-powerful. All and as we move through this, we're going to see that if they really had any power compared to God, instead of adding to the plagues like they do the first couple, they would have just stopped what God was doing, but they couldn't do it. So let's look at the first plague that happens in chapter 7 and verse 14 is where we're going to start. We're going to go through all 10 this morning. I hope you're excited. It's like a sermon with 10 points. And a sermon with three points usually takes me about 30 minutes, so do the math. Um, I'm just kidding. We won't go that long this morning. We're going to work our way through pretty quick and get to the point. The plague of the blood in verse 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is unyielding. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he goes out to the river. Confront him on the bank of the Nile and take in your hand the staff that was changed into a snake. Then say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to say to you, let my people go. He does this over and over. Moses goes and does what God says here. He, uh, he holds his staff out over the water. And you've got to understand that in Egypt, the Nile and the water that came from the Nile was the source of life. 
All of the civilizations in Egypt were built around the Nile. You, you get much further out, and it's desert. If you wanted to survive, you were close to the Nile. And here, God, the first plague he sends to, in round one of this boxing match, God sends uh, Pharaoh, and he turns all of the water, all of the fresh water, into blood. And, uh, and, and we find that, that they have no, nothing to drink, and, and, and it's just complete uh, fear among the people. And yet Pharaoh continues to, to harden his heart because the, the magician's coming in, and it says they replicate this. They do the same thing that Moses has done. It said at the end in verse 24 that all the Egyptians dug along the Nile to get drinking water because they could not drink the water of the river. Let me say this, that sometimes in life we'll wait for God to do some big thing, some big miracle, some big sign to show us who he is. And in looking for the big thing, because these are big things that we're going to talk about this morning, we'll miss the small miracles that he does every day in our life. The things that, uh, that we take for granted in our life, a, a simple breath when you wake up in the morning, a step you take when you get out of the bed, a family you have, a spouse that you have. We will take for granted the small miracles when we start looking for big things from God. And so be thoughtful about what, God, what have you done for me today, and be thankful for the little things. The next thing we see is in starting at the end of chapter 7, verse 25, and then moving into chapter 8 is the plague of the frogs. Um, and this one is just, I mean, God does some crazy things here in Egypt. Um, but he, he sends Moses again. Uh, says, go to Pharaoh and say to him, this is what the Lord says. Let my people go so that they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go, I will send a plague of frogs on your whole country. The Nile will teem with frogs. They will come up into your palace and your bedroom and onto your bed and into the houses of your officials and on your people and into your ovens and kneading troughs. The frogs will come up on you and your people and all your officials. He does it. Uh, Moses uh, is obedient. He goes, tell, tells Pharaoh this, and um, sure enough, frogs land in Egypt and take over. They're in every home. They're they're, they're, they're in, in, in the lower class and the upper class. They're, they're in the palace. The frogs are everywhere. In verse 9, Moses said to Pharaoh, I leave to you the honor of saying the time for me to pray for you and your officials and your people that you and your houses may be rid of the frogs. Pharaoh says tomorrow. Moses replied, it will be as you say so that you may know there is no one like the Lord, our God. See, we, hear, we see here a difference. Because even after Moses cries out to the Lord here in verse 12, and the Lord did what Moses asked, the frogs died in the houses and the courtyards that were piled into heaps and the land reeked to them. It says in verse 15, but when Pharaoh saw there was relief, he hardened his heart and would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. I want us to see here the difference between persistence and stubbornness. We're going to see Moses, who feels this call and been called specifically by God to do something that's going to bring God glory. And it's okay to be persistent in those things. Actually, God tells us to pray without ceasing. He loves persistence when we are seeking him. 
But there's a difference in stubbornness, which Pharaoh has, which is really built around I or me. And so he, we see here Pharaoh who's being stubborn. This is the third thing he's seen, and, and this time he relents after, after the, the frogs are gone. He changes his mind says, yeah, I'm not letting you go. The frogs are gone. I'm not letting you go. We see the third plague starts in um, chapter 8, verse 16. Uh, the, pl- the plague of the gnats. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the ground, and throughout the land of Egypt the dust will become gnats. I mean, th- these are crazy things that are happening. Since the gnats were on people and animals everywhere, the magician said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. Because in verse 18 it says, The magicians tried to produce gnats by their secret arts, and they could not. Here, God had done something. He's throwing one thing after another. He's turned, he's turned the Nile into blood. He's thrown frogs at them. He's now throwing gnats at them. And the magicians, they couldn't, they, they were drawing on all their trickery and could not figure out how Moses and Aaron had done this one. They said, this is the finger of God. Notice, you know, if you know anything about the Egyptians, they had all kinds of gods they served. But here, these magicians said, this is the finger of God, singular. But Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he would not listen. The fourth plague flies, chapter 8, verse 20. Then the Lord said to Moses, get up early in the morning and confront Pharaoh as he goes to the river and say to him, this is what the Lord says, let my people go so that they may worship me. Persistence. If you do not let my people go, I will send swarms of flies on you and your officials and on your people and into your houses, and the house of the Egyptians will be full of flies. Even the ground will be covered with them. Uh, I mean, it is that time of year, and I hate flies. I don't know. Um, uh, they're probably uh, running low on fly swats this time of year. I don't know about your house, but we've got more than, than we'd rather have. And, uh, and one in the house is enough to keep me focused for 10 minutes, tracking it down, right, from one room to the next, waiting for it to land, and then if it doesn't land, I'm swinging in the air, I'll take it out while it's flying, give me some chopsticks, I don't know. But listen, I cannot imagine, I cannot imagine being there and seeing Moses and Aaron, and, and, and they've, they've worshipped all these sun gods, the cow gods, the river gods, they've, they've, and, and yet here's a man standing saying, here's a god, and he hits the dust, and it all turns to flies. Everyone covered with them, the ground covered with them. I can not imagine. Here's something cool that happens in this one, though. city of Goshen, where the Israelites were concentrated, where they lived primarily had zero flies. Here's what happens in Pharaoh's heart in this plague. He starts to do something we try to do sometimes with God. We compromise. Pharaoh says, you know what? Okay, this is really bad. I hate, he must, hate, must have hated flies too. He says, here's what I'll let you do. I'll let you take your animals, go out into the wilderness a little ways, and I will let you sacrifice and worship your God if you'll take them. And you can go sacrifice your God. But here in my land, not too far away, I want you to see that. Moses said, okay. He went and prayed that the, the flies would go away. They went away, and it turns out that Pharaoh 
ends up hardening his heart, and he doesn't let the people go. Let me say this. When it comes to commitments to God, doing things halfway is not enough. God wants us all 100%. He wants our life committed to him. Does that mean we just serve him every day and we don't work a job? No, it just means when you are working a job, you're doing it for his glory. And you're doing it thinking about him. But he's not looking for just, I'll do this if you do that. He's not a negotiator. He is called and he expects and he has called each and every one of us to a purpose. And he doesn't, he doesn't care much for half commitments. We see Pharaoh begin to do this over and over, and we're tempted to do this, give him verbal commitments, and our life never, never reflects what we've spoke to God or what we spoke to other people. And we see this begin to happen with Pharaoh. It looks like he's had repentance. It looks like he begins to believe that God is the supreme God and that he should do it, but then he continually changes his heart. When doing things for God halfway, is not enough. Plague number five, the livestock. Starting in chapter nine, we're beginning to see that if this was me, this is the fifth time that Moses is going to the same king, the same Pharaoh, saying the same thing. Same thing. Moses, Pharaoh, as what the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, this is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, says. Let my people go. And begin to feel like a broken record at this point, if I'm Moses. But we see him starting to get his feet under him as a leader. Eighty years in, it's about time. He's getting his feet under him. He's going over and over again. He's fighting again and again. He's getting back this ring, believing. God told me he's going to do this. I'm going back again. And what I love about this what I love about this, and here's a message from this plague, how important obedience is in the face of discouragement. I don't know about you, but I would have been discouraged at this point if I was Moses. I would have been thinking, I've, I've, God, you've had me go tell him that four times. I've told him that, and he's not listened. He's not, he's not let them go. Really? You want me to go back? And, oh, this time you want me to say... Uh, this is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews says, let my people go so that they may worship me. But he was obedient in the face of discouragement. The sixth plague, this is God just dropping one thing after another, right? River into blood, frogs, gnats, flies, livestock. Uh, the livestock, and, and, and I should share that in that one, uh, I mean, they, they died. They the plague, all the things that they were using to work with, the animals, the livestock they worked with, the, the created food for them, died. Anything that was out in the field, not in the shelter. So he goes on to the sixth plague of boils, which is in chapter 9, starting in verse 8. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take handfuls of soot from a furnace and have Moses toss it into the air in the presence of Pharaoh. It will become fine dust over the whole land of Egypt, and festering boils will break out on people and animals throughout the land. I don't know. I, for me, uh, I can't even imagine this. 
If you could just uh, uh, somehow create this image in your mind of Moses before this powerful king coming back and asking again to let the people go, and he takes the soot and he just throws it up in the air, and it takes off and moves into fine dust all across Egypt. And immediately all the people, Egyptians and animals, come down with festering boils. I love this. Let me tell you what happens in verse 11. David Copperfield can't even show up for this one. He couldn't come and say, let me try to do that. Because here's what happened in verse 11. The magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils that were on them and all of the Egyptians. Here we find Pharaoh's heart become permanently hardened. This is a scary place to be with stubbornness, with this thought process that you are in control and that you are so strong and, and continually pushing back the word of God. I'm not talking about what he speaks audibly to you. I'm talking about what you hear from me and other preachers as we go through God's word and what you hear when you read God's word, that you read it, but you'd rather pick it apart or you, 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 might, you, might, uh, uh, you might just try to poke holes in it and you don't listen and you don't hear and you don't open your heart to the truth that is here and the danger that comes when you get to the point where Pharaoh's heart is just hardened. He doesn't even respond. He doesn't care that boils are everywhere. It says, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not listen to Moses and Aaron just as the Lord had said to Moses. Plague 7 was hell, chapter 9, verse 13. Then the Lord said to Moses, get up early in the morning, confront Pharaoh and say to him, this is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews says, let my people go so that they may worship me. Notice he keeps saying this over and over. What's remaining of any of their livestock, this hell drops uh, and it kills their crops. It kills the remaining livestock. Uh Pharaoh finally relents and says, listen, if you will get rid of this hell, if you'll make it stop, I'll let them go. Moses prays. God stops the hell. Pharaoh changes his mind. I mean, this is going all the way to the 10th round. And Pharaoh, for some reason, still thinks he has a chance. When we're fighting against God, when we're pushing back against God, for some reason we think we have a chance. We think we can figure it out on our own. We can do it on our own. And we're ignoring all the signs, all the things he's using to call us and point us in his direction. The eighth plague is locusts. Uh, I love this. This is in chapter 10. Um, uh, this is just another plague. It's like a one-two punch. I mean, God is bringing out here. Chapter 10, verse 2 um, actually, let me read starting in verse 1. Um, Go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his officials, so that I may perform these signs of mine among them, that you may tell your children and grandchildren how I dealt harshly with the Egyptians and how I performed my signs among them, and that, may you, that you may know that I am the Lord. God's saying he is doing these things. He is letting things come about the way that they are coming about. One, so that Moses himself, that Pharaoh himself would know that he is the Lord. He is Yahweh. He is the great I am. 
And there's some uh, hidden in there is this application I think is important to each and every one of us. He says, so that you can tell your children and their children. That you can share the stories of how God delivered, of how I worked in this time and in this place. Because that's the only way they, that, that could be the foundation that they have of knowing how strong and how powerful God is. I think it's important that, that if you've got children, if you're a parent, to share with them the way God has shown up in your life. The incredible things he's done, the places he's intervened, and share it with your children. We're getting close to the end here and uh, plague number nine with darkness. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward the sky to that, so that darkness spreads over Egypt. Darkness that can be felt. We had that here last Sunday morning. Where all of a sudden the power went out and the lights flashed out for a minute and it was complete darkness. We had, uh, again, this week when power went out at home, we were up and all of a sudden it was pitch black. It says here that darkness uh, covered Egypt for three days. And it says that people couldn't even move. I don't think we can get our minds around the fear that that would bring if complete darkness covered the entire land. Uh, except the Hebrews who had light as usual. God was taking care of his people. At this point, the Egyptians had to be thinking if uh, they're, they're, they're Hepi, this god of the Nile River, or Hathor, the crafty cow goddess, or Amon Re, the sun god and chief of the Egyptian gods, here at this point were silent. We're nowhere to be found. Their chief of the Egyptian gods could not stop this eerie darkness from covering the land for three full days. God was speaking directly into the people of Egypt. Because even this early in the whole story of Christianity and what God is doing for mankind, he's reaching out. He's sharing. He's wanting people to see. He's giving them the opportunity. He gave Pharaoh over and over the opportunity to accept, to serve, and to love the true and mighty God. And yet he wouldn't. He says, no again, his heart hardened verse 27 of chapter 10 but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he was not willing to let them go Pharaoh said to Moses get out of my sight make sure you do not appear before me again the day you see my face you will die just as you say Moses replied I will never appear before you again God begins to prepare and plan for the thing he didn't want to have to do. He knew he was going to have to do it because he knows everything. The tenth and final plague of the firstborn. And one final demonstration of his power, he would prove once and for all that he was the one 
true God. Pharaoh had pushed back and back and back because he had these millions of people. It was free labor. They were slaves. He didn't want to let them go. And yet here God is getting ready to bring him to his knees. Don't. Don't let. Uh, don't let it, it come to some tragedy in your life. Some major intervening to open your eyes up to who God is. To remind you of how powerful he is. He's calling. It's a simple message of, of faith that you can just express in your heart and repent and, and find forgiveness in him. And yet we find Pharaoh here, he's had many opportunities to trust God and let the people go, and he's refused to do it. And so God begins to put the plan in place where he's going to take the firstborn of every Egyptian and every animal. This is where God instituted the Passover, the time where he told all of the Hebrew children to sacrifice their, their lamb without def defect, their, the most perfect lamb they have. He told them to sacrifice that, to take the blood and apply it to the sides of the doorpost, above their, their door, to cook and eat the lamb this night. He told them to be dressed and ready to go. He knew what was going to happen. God was going to move through this land that night. And, and yet, this is his one, his one demonstration. This helped the Hebrew people remember forever and understand that, that for them to be spared from death, uh, an innocent life had to be sacrificed in their place. God moved through on this night known as Passover that we find celebrated in, in the, the New Testament that they, the Jewish people they, they still celebrated Passover remembering the night that God delivered them. In chapter 12, verse 29, it says, And it came to pass at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of livestock. So Pharaoh rose in the night, he, all his servants, and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. I want you to use this story. I want you to use this story and realize that this moment in Pharaoh's mind that he has seen a lot of powerful people. He has overcome a lot of powerful countries that, that they felt like they had served a lot of powerful gods, that they themselves felt like they were powerful. And this is the, this is the danger we get into. Yes, uh, this world is full of you know, false gods and, and religions who serve gods who are not real, who are fictitious, who people use their imaginations and come up with. And no matter how passionate they are, at the end of the day, there's one true God. But here's, here, Pharaoh, here's how we're like Pharaoh. 
is in our life we become selfish. And, and we become, we may never would admit it, but our inclination as human beings is to be selfish. And to think, sometimes make ourself our own God. You think we don't see that in the world today, this divisiveness where everybody's uh, so confident in their opinion that everyone else is wrong and only they are right? You think we don't see it in the way that we, we, we our, our political parties on both sides are saying our hope, this one person, this one man, this one human being is our only Hope. We put these things before us and we forget that nations rise and fall under the hand of our Creator. Pharaoh knows it this day. We can take this story and be reminded that we, at this moment in time, serve the greatest of all time the real goat not not an athlete not a not a great uh, performer but the creator the great i am the one that says i am i am i've always been he is the greatest of all time because he's the only one that's been in all time can you imagine this night as pharaoh wakes up if they, if they could call and text, my son's dead as yours. My firstborn is dead as yours. His word began to move around the country. People realized only something supernatural, only something of power that they had never even dreamed of could perform something like this. And so Pharaoh had to do something with it. He had to do something with it, and we find out what he does. He calls for Moses and Aaron by night, and it said, Rise, go out from among my people, both you and the children of Israel, and go serve the Lord as you have said, I want you to see this here and take your flocks and your herds as you've said and be gone and bless me also. What in the world did he throw that in there for? I don't understand. Bless me. What you're asking is uh, it's so selfish. He never says, I'm sorry. He never says, wow, your God really is good. I want to worship him. He doesn't say, I'm, he doesn't say God, I'm, you are the real God. I'm sorry I let you down. You came to me so many times, told me to let the people go, and I wouldn't do it. But he says, bless me also. How many times do we go to God without ever feeling guilty or finding any, any, any repentance in our heart and just ask for things? But he finishes with this, and the Egyptians urged the people that they might send them out of the land in haste, for they said, we shall all be dead. He finishes this by saying, you know what? I realize that you're the greatest of all time. You are the supreme God. But he does something that's really sad, and we can all do it. He doesn't choose to serve him. 
it chooses to send him away. He says, I just want you all out of here. Take your God and go. Or we're all going to die. Let's not take this message, this reminder this morning that, yeah, he's the greatest. Let's not just admit it with our minds. Let's accept it with our hearts. This was pointing toward the story of redemption, which the entire Bible is about. The fact that mankind got ourselves into a mess when we sinned. Because of that sin, the wages of sin are death. We brought this on ourselves. Uh, God is not sending people to hell, us to hell. We are destined for hell. God gave us a pathway out. This is the story of redemption where he, uh, he, he sacrificed and he traded. Uh, this perfect lamb was an illustration of what would be the Messiah, would be Jesus Christ. That gives us the hope that when we apply his blood to our life, we become like crimson or we become white as snow. And that we have hope of eternity and all we have to do. Grace is free. All you have to do to get it is repent. (laughs) Is repentance. Let us be reminded today, right now, that this God of the Bible is the greatest of all time he's a God of love a God of mercy and a God of grace let's not send him away but let's go to him let's serve him and fall before him God we thank you for this time we thank you for this word we thank you for the truth God that we can take cultural things like the greatest of all time and be reminded that Jesus Christ is the human representation, God, among us. You are the greatest. God, I'm not. I'm sorry sometimes I put myself first, my my choices first, my preferences first. God, my discouragement gets in the way of my obedience. God, I need your strength inside of me. God, let us turn our hearts to you this morning individually as a church, as a community, as a nation. God, we come to you and, God, our hope. The truth is you are the only hope we have. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We thank you for joining this morning. We hope you can join us again next week. Sunday morning we'll be continuing to to. to, to under the series the next passage is the most exciting passage for me uh, as they 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 begin the exodus into the wilderness and come face to face with the red sea and god works one of the greatest well-known miracles in the bible Um, so join us next week for that Um, if god has blessed you with this service this uh this message this morning Please, uh, please, we encourage you, send us a message, an email, get on our website, Facebook, let us know, comment on the YouTube video. We'd love to hear from you and know that God is working. Uh, We pray you have a wonderful day and a blessed week.